Welcome to the Awakening Project podcast. We are a community of emerging adults, college students, and pastors who are passionately pursuing an awakening move of God in our generation. Thanks so much for listening in today. Our hope is that God would capture you with his vision for our world and for your life. So welcome back to the Awakening Project podcast. We are so grateful that you're joining us for this conversation that's going to take a look at the topic of awakening in community. And uh, with us for this conversation, we have Austin Wofford, who with his wife Maddie co-leads a network of house churches in Lexington, Kentucky called Arise Church. Austin, it's great to have you with us. Hey, everybody. Yeah. We also have Jessica Avery, who is the director of Awakening Project. We're so glad she's here with us today. Hi, friends. Glad to be here. And I'm David Thomas, and I am senior advisor to New Room, and we're really glad to have these moments to talk together with you. And this topic of awakening and community is so significant on so many levels. We're going to try to explore that and really unpack that and and understand that together. But in many ways, this idea of awakening, which can sound so broad and it's like an old historic word and and kind of hard to, you know, get your handle on and know know exactly what we're talking about. But in, in essence, really awakening is simply encountering Jesus in community. It is a full face on engagement with Jesus in friendship with others. And so why don't we start, Austin, Jess, why don't we just start by just talking around that simple core concept about the crucial importance of community in awakening personally and awakening in history. I'd love for maybe, Austin, you just kick us off to talk a little bit about that connection, that relationship of awakening and community. Yeah, well, I would love to jump in and just start a conversation uh, with my own personal experience from my years in college. Yeah. You know, as we talk about awakening, we talk about it being this woken, awakened to the presence of Jesus, awakened to the reality of God in our lives, yeah. and being touched by the love of God, experiencing the love of God. And for me in college, that was one of the things that I felt very, very passionately about. Hmm. And in fact, there are even probably moments in my college experience where if I did not experience the reality of God, if God didn't show himself to be the same person in in my life that he was in scripture, then it really would have been hard for me to kind of persist in faith beyond college. And I think that's the experience of a lot of people is to say, coming out of high school, leaving the community that you grew up in, your parents, you know, kind of keeping you in church rhythms, you're really exploring, okay, is God real? You know, do I really believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is present in my life? And there's this process that we go through in college of really beginning to own our faith. And so there are a lot of people who go through just this experience of desperation for the presence of God in college. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of us get a taste of the love of God, or we have experiences with the Holy Spirit that just spur us on to this uh, desperate, lovesick pursuit 
of the presence of Jesus. And that was my experience in college. And one of the things that I think is tricky for us as we go through that, okay, how do I really get after God? Is that for us, we think about it a lot like I pursue God in my prayer closet Mm -hmm. or I pursue God in my personal studies or I pursue God as an individual on my own sort of journey of salvation Mm -hmm. and personal walk with, with God. But when you look in scripture and when you look throughout church history, you find that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit doesn't happen primarily in individuals. You know, it's not people alone in their prayer closets. That's right. But the filling of God happens primarily in community. Mm-hmm. And it's groups of friends who bond and link and band together throughout um, in, in moments of desperation mm-hmm. to really surrender their whole lives to God. This is mm-hmm. the type of person and people that we're, is known for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on. You look at the book of Acts, the desperation of the disciples and the earliest believers like in Acts 2 and how it talked about them crying out to God with one accord, with one voice, with one passion, with one fire, and the Holy Spirit pouring out on them. Mm-hmm. Or the same in Acts 4. You know, a group of believers who are about to face persecution and they bond together for a kind of through the night travailing prayer to say, God, we must have your power and your reality in this moment. And the Holy Spirit pours out powerfully mm-hmm. in, in that community and like the earth shakes and revival breaks out. And, you know, it's, it's this beautiful picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the same is true for our lives today, mm-hmm. that if we can find friends to band and bond and link together in a desperate pursuit for the love of God, that that is the type of unity that attracts the filling of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus, the reality of his lordship. And, and uh, yeah, so, so community for me, especially for emerging adults and college students, is crucial. To find a, a group of people that you're unified with in a pursuit of God invites the love of God, an awakening type relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. Yeah, so good, Austin. That's good. Jess, you want to add anything to that or we can go on? Yeah, I'll just say quickly, um, what happens when awakening occurs in in a community is that it becomes a little pocket of the kingdom of God expressed Mm. on earth, and that is truly attractive to people. So we talk about wanting to attract people to the church and wanting to bring people in. When people see the the community of God express the kingdom of God, um, they become interested in it. They become drawn to it, The, the wholeness, the healing, the vitality. Um, the abundant life that exists in a community like that um, really draws in people, and it and it makes it spread, which is the nature of awakening, is that it goes out. Mm, so true, so good. And the the reality is that what we're talking about this depth of relationship, this kind of community, is what all of us, and now more than ever, all of us are so craving. We live today in kind of a loneliness mm-hmm. epidemic, uh, and there's so much that can be said about that. And I wonder if we just want to comment on just the circumstances of our moment, what, we're, what we've come out of and are still in with COVID, the effects of social media around the quality of relationship that we have. It, it just either of you or both of you, just talk about this current moment that we're experiencing around a community and relationship. Yeah. 
I believe that belonging is the heart cry of a generation Yeah. right now. And I believe that there are a lot of college students listening to this podcast or emerging adults listening to this conversation, and they would say, hey, Austin, you know, it's great that you would talk about, um, you know, finding groups of people to bond together to pursue Jesus, and I desperately want that. Like, I feel that, like, I don't have it. Like, I'm in maybe in church Sunday after Sunday, but I don't actually know people. My voice isn't heard. Or maybe I've just transitioned jobs or I've moved cities or I'm on a, on a new campus. And, man, I really want community, but I don't know where to find it. And for you, I would say, like, you're not alone in that, mm-hmm. that I think it's actually very difficult right now to build relationships and to build friendships. And everywhere we go that we pray with students, you know, across states, across universities, across denominations. Um, when students share prayer requests with us, it's often around this theme of loneliness. Like, I don't have good relationships with my parents. I don't have good relationships with my friends. I don't have good relationships in the church. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me that belonging really is the heart cry of this generation. And even in moments, it, it's so obvious that it's like a little funny, right? Like one time we were at a college event and praying with, with students, um, people coming up for prayer, just random prayer requests. And I remember one night at a college campus, a student came up and said, um, hey, Austin, will you pray for me? I don't have any friends to, to walk in relationship with towards God. Like I want spiritual friends and I don't have them. And so I prayed for this person and, um, and then they walked away and the next person came up and they said, uh, hey, Austin, will you pray for me? I don't have any spiritual friends. Like, I need discipleship <laughs> relationships. I want to get after God with other people. I don't know um, how to do that. And we did not talk on relationship that night. We did not talk on spiritual friendship or banding or anything. I mean, it was about awakening and prayer. But this is just what is resonating with people. And for that second person, you know, we, I did not pray for them, but I instead walk them to the first person who I prayed with and I introduced them (laughs) to each other and said you all need to to band together and walk towards Jesus so belonging is just it's a heart cry Mm -hmm. Um, it's a need we all feel it I think we feel the the shallow depth of relationship that's offered us in everyday life Mm -hmm. and we look to our church and we look to Jesus and we examine his life and the way that he talks about fullness of life and mm. family-like community. And we look at the the church of Acts and we wonder why do our church relationships, why do they not reflect the fullness of life that Jesus talks about? And why am I not offered an alternative, redemptive way of living in community as opposed to the shallow relationships that are offered to me in the everyday life that I live. Mm, And I think that tension drives people nuts. Yeah, the way that life is really set up for emerging adults pushes them toward isolation. So Mm. these these are people who grew up on social media, so they didn't really know life without it. I mean, their high school experience was you know, extended into the home through social media. Even their interfacing with friends was primarily through texting. That's where they're doing most of their disclosing rather than in face-to-face conversations. So that's been um, not something that they've, you know, adopted as adults. This is how they've just grown up, how they have always done friendship, how they've been um, just uh, how they have adjusted to life in the world. Mm. And then they go, you know, we talk a lot about college campuses and and we love college because that's where young adults gather. And that's why we think it's a strategic place. We think that that, that, 
third generation of life from 20 to 30 is super strategic, 18 to 29 or however you want to call it. Um, but college campuses now are even set up where students are pushed toward isolation. So, you know, people generations decades ago might have gone to a dorm with a hall shower and shared rooms. And that was a real bonding experience for a lot of people. It kind of felt like being at extended summer camp and halls tended to have deep connections and roommates and there was a lot of in and out and connection. But the way that dorms are built now is students have private rooms with their own baths. And so there's nothing that sort of forces them into a rhythm of being with other people mm. and interacting. And um, I think one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen is, is going into a cafeteria on a college campus. And even the chairs are set up now where there are a lot more individual seats, like little rows that face outside to the window and little mm. bar stools so that people can come and sit alone and eat their meals rather than facing each other. Um, because that's a lot of times how students interact. They don't just go in and talk with somebody different like they may have you know, decades ago. It's just a very different way of being. So just life patterns in general for emerging adults really lend um, themselves toward isolation. Also emerging adults tend to change cities and move around a lot more. So if we think again, generations and decades back, a lot of people would go more into a family business, stay local, and now people um, pursue jobs all over the place and then they change jobs frequently. And so there's just a ton of transition and a ton of things that just push emerging adults out of community and into isolation all the time. And COVID of course, just exacerbated all of that. Mm -hmm. And Even in my own personal experience, I'm not an emerging adult. I am an adult adult. I'm 40. (laughs) And, um, uh, but I live alone. I'm single. I've never been married. And during the pandemic, I went six or seven weeks where no one actually physically touched me. I mean, not a hug, not a tap on the shoulder, (laughs) not a, not even sitting by someone on a sofa watching a movie. Hmm. I mean, just total no contact. And even with being 40 years old and having some miles on my tires, it was terrible for Mm. my mental health. I mean, I just thought I am going out of my mind and I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like to live with that as a 20 year old. And I just have no idea how I would have coped. Um, and that's where we're seeing a lot of our young adults now, the, the suicide, um, the suicidal ideology among emerging adults during the pandemic Mm. was just through the roof. It was unbelievable. Mm. And life in general, I mean, to to live in deep relationship for emerging adults is an uphill battle. It's not a natural way of being in the generation. It has to really take um, some effort and it has to take some intentionality because it will not happen by default. The default um, mode for an emerging adult is to drift into isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, I just want to hop in and, and yeah. just kind of piggyback on that because um, you know what you're talking about, Jess, is so many people's experience, mm-hmm. and a lot of us wonder why do I live in sort of chronic anxiety or why do I fight depression um, and suicidal thoughts, and you know, as someone who's been on the college campus for the last decade. You know, it hasn't always been this way, that this is sort of the norm experience for college students. I actually remember a couple year period in the early 2010s where it shifted into like high levels of anxiety and depression. Hmm. And so a lot of us are wondering, why do I feel anxious? And 
you know, it doesn't take, after hearing an experience like what Jess is describing, you know, her year in COVID, it doesn't necessarily take a rocket scientist to figure out why we're experiencing anxiety and depression at high levels, why yeah. there's a mental health epidemic. Um, you know, I think about it as, as the amount of isolation spaces that we find ourselves in today. Um, you know, years ago or a couple of decades ago, some of us would maybe say, okay, I live alone or like I eat alone. And those are my isolation spaces. Like those are my eye spaces. But you think about how much of our lives is mediated through screens mm -hmm. right now. Wow. You know, so those isolation spaces where I find myself alone have just, they've multiplied. Um, so some people would say now, like I live alone, um, I door dash my food. So mm -hmm. I don't see people out at even restaurants or grocery stores, I door dash my food, I eat, I, I eat alone. Um, because of the pandemic, some people would say, like, I, I work alone mm -hmm. or I do class alone, like through a screen, you know, in wow. the blue light shining in my face in a dark room. Like, that's how I experience my every day. Mm -hmm. um, some of us don't even order, you know, go to the store to get groceries. You'd say, like, you know, I do my grocery delivered. shopping alone. I, I get it delivered. Peloton bikes, that sort of mm -hmm. thing have become really popular. Mm -hmm. So some of us would say, like, I work out alone. And then with like streaming church, some of us would, would even say like, hey, I don't even go to church with other people anymore. Yeah. And so with the mm -hmm. multiplication of isolation spaces, mm -hmm. like this vision of life as I live my life through a blue lit screen in a dark room as the vision of life that we're living into, um, you know, we're attracted to that because these isolation spaces are convenient. We don't have to worry about, you know, other people, other relationships, other people's expectations. No conflict. No yeah. conflict. Yeah. But the result of mm. isolation spaces oh my is the feelings of I'm lonely. Yeah. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I think just the amount of isolation that we experience has led to this mental health epidemic. And it's become very obvious to us through the pandemic that um, that we are far too alone. Yeah. And so it's oh, so so insightful, y'all. And I'd love to take this just an, a little one step even deeper, because when we talk about belonging as being the heart cry of a generation, I'm wanting to to even explore. Could we say belonging is the heart cry of humanity? because we are designed by God for community. It's more than just sort of a current need that has been intensified under COVID, but it is an eternal need. And I'm wondering if, if you all would wanna just comment on sort of our theology of community, that God is community. We are created for it, designed to crave it either of you, both of you, just sort of comment on that. Yeah, so we're all wired for this. I think it's just harder for emerging adults to find it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's truly just a, a human need. Uh, God himself is one in three, is trying, lives in relationship, Father, Son, Spirit. And we are designed in the image of a triune God. We are built for relationship, and we even see it um, – reflected in creation and how people come about. Every time you see one person, you know there are three because any person who exists has to have a mother, has to have a father. 
And so even that reflects the, the nature in which we are built, how God designed things. And even how infants can have no ability to care for themselves. Austin has a little baby haven. Y'all can't just leave her at home and say, make good choices, haven, <laughs> and then come back. No, she, she is designed uh, to need a mother and a father, to need just the support, encouragement. She cannot live in isolation. And that mm. is the nature of really who we are, how we are, and how creation reflects who God is. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would just add that that I think this is a gift that the church has to offer, like our generations in this moment. You know, where mm-hmm. else in society are people saying, hey, we don't want to any longer mediate relationships through screens. Like, I don't want to manage friendships through my social media. Um, I don't want to have conversations primarily through text or even through Skype. But there's something at the core of who I am and at the core of, of God mm-hmm. that is relational, that mm. is deeply intimate. And just the amount of times that you see in scripture where it is a big deal to lay eyes on God, to see the glory of God, to experience the presence of God. Um, you see in the, the book of Acts, when people are saved, they're saved into family-like community. I mean, these deep, re- relationally bonded communities are formed immediately with new disciples. And it's because salvation is a community making event. It, it yeah. brings us into community with God. Mm-hmm. It yeah. brings us into community with other people. It restores all of our, all of human brokenness at its core is relational brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the very core of God is uh, vitality of relationship, intimacy, um, sacrificial love. He has given us a church to model that here on earth and to live into that. And part of our healing, part of the deep longing that we feel and part of the gift that the church has to bring to the, to our generations is a depth of community that can help uh, mend the broken relational self that has created this deep dissonance in so many of us. Mm-hmm. So where else in society are we hearing conversations like that? Where else in society are we acknowledging mm-hmm. what we all feel and know to be true, which is there is something deeply off at the core of our humanity in managing relationships online, in managing conversations on text. We need face-to-face. We need depth. We need intimacy. We need each other. We need presence. And, and the church and the very nature of God acknowledges that. And we have that to offer to our generation. Yeah, That's right. And even yeah. we look at the life of Jesus, we see a lot there. He, he displays different levels of relationship, what it looks like to live in relationship. And I really see three different levels of relationship in the life of Jesus. Um, First, we see the crowds, um, and then we see the 12, and then we see the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, his Mm. closest people. And even the stories that we see about crowds in Scripture— actually point out the limitations of what a crowd does. <laughs> so we think about um, the woman who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus's garment. And he says, who touched me? And um, everybody's like, well, Jesus, like everybody's touching you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the thing about that moment is that Jesus, it was no longer a crowd. It was a one-on-one all of a sudden mm-hmm. between Jesus and the woman. It broke through mm-hmm. all the limitations that a crowd offers. Same thing when the 
the friends went up on the roof and lowered their friend through through the roof down mm-hmm. to the feet of Jesus because it was crowded. Nobody could get to Jesus. And that was a moment when a crowd wasn't acting like a crowd. All of a sudden, it became about this man who needed healing and the healing of Jesus that came there. And so crowds are not, I mean, they're great for gathering and for hearing some teaching and that kind of thing, but they can't give us what we need. And even those stories point out um, the limitations of being in huge groups like that. Um, and then, of course, in the twelve. That would be equivalent to like a small group or a house church um, in our day in that size of a crowd. It's just kind of like a, a, a group of people that is small enough to know each other's needs and large enough to meet them. And so, you know, if a person's really struggling, if a person's struggling financially, they're struggling relationally, they're struggling in another way, that many people can kind of bear the load and, and share the weight and help to carry a person through a difficult season. And that is significant. And then we see in Jesus's life again, Peter, James, and John, that inner circle who were um, there at the transfiguration. They were um, in earshot of the agony in Gethsemane. And that was a level of vulnerability and a level of um, revelation of revealing himself that the whole world didn't see. It was just for a few. And I believe those are the kinds of relationships Uh, that very often bring the most significant healing and wholeness and kingdom of God in our lives. When we allow people, when we, when we, when we go into vulnerability and let people see who we are and what we're carrying and allow those people to carry it with us, that is the kingdom of God coming on earth. Mm -hmm. So good. Y'all, I appreciate this. I would like to I'd love to invite you to elaborate even a little farther here because this is you're shedding a lot of light on the crucial importance created in us around community to sort of mitigate against all the 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 pain and loss that is being experienced by so many in the emerging generation. But talk for a second about not just what community helps us the losses it helps us avoid, but instead the growth it helps us gain. How does it change us? How do we become more? Not just what we haven't, you know, that we, but you know, how do, how do we, how does it actually uh, provide the soil for the kind of growth into the men and women that really God created us to be, that he really makes it possible for us to be? One of the main spiritual formation principles that I live by is that you become like the community in which you belong. Yeah. And this is not something that many of us are aware of, mm-hmm. but we find a lot of our senses of belonging in the social community, social media communities that we're in. Um, and so a lot of us struggle to actually sense belonging outside of broken kind of media narratives that we intake day in and day out. But if we want to become like Jesus, then we have to live life with people who are attempting to become like Jesus. We're going to become like the community in which we belong. Yeah. And when you look at, I always go back to Acts 2 for this, and we're talking about community, that picture of community in Acts is so beautiful, but at Pentecost in Acts 2, you have groups of, you, you have a collection of ethnically Jewish people 
but from all over the Roman world who come into Jerusalem. And Peter preaches the first sort of evangelistic sermon to them where he talks through the scriptures and he talks about, you know, Jesus died and he was, he was resurrected. And guess what? You all killed him and people are cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And they did. They repented. They were baptized. 3,000 were added to the number of disciples and believers in that day. And what happened after that, I think, is very telling for the discipleship strategy of the apostles in the early church. Immediately, the first following, 3,000 added to them in that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. So you have people from all over the Roman world. They represent all these different ideologies, philosophies, languages, cultures, it would be impossible for them to become like Jesus and to live into the calling that Jesus had for their lives unless they were taken kind of out of those communities because if they went back having had this baptism, baptism experience without having a community in which to belong, it would have been a great experience without formation because you cannot really be formed into the person of Jesus without the community of Jesus. And so the apostles gathered in them together and put them into a community, which I think the only word you can describe it as is family. Yeah. They shared meals, broke mm-hmm. bread, fellowship together. Day after day, they were in the temples and in the homes. They were uh, serving the poor and sharing their possessions and giving away their money and studying the scriptures and the only word that we have for that in our language is family. If we yeah. want to become like Jesus, we have to belong mm-hmm. in the family of God. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to reiterate the significance and the importance of that family piece, particularly for single people. Mm. Um, and statistically, most people are marrying close to 30 than 20 if they are marrying. And more than half of adults are actually single. But if we look at the makeup of church, that's not true at all. It's mostly families. Mm. And, um, and so this really is a huge need. And it is really how we see in Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, it's be fruitful and multiply. And in the New Testament, it's go and make disciples. And they have the same connotation. I mean, it has the same idea that as we develop disciples, we're actually becoming family. We are creating a, a whole new way of life. And as people come into a relationship with Jesus, they are born into new life. They're born into new family. And it really does have the same level of parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about so that good. language born again, which so many of us yeah. love. It's like born again as a child of our Heavenly Father. That's right. And then committed to a family of brothers and sisters who are also children in the family of God. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be hard for us not to be deformed by the patterns, the rhythms, the, you know, I talk about media, the intake, what we behold in the world. Because the the way and the life, the teachings, the lifestyle that Jesus Mm -hmm. modeled is going to be impossible to live into if we're pulled away by the cultural forces that surround us. We have to join in as a brother and a sister in the family of God with other believers to belong with them so that we can become like Jesus. And we don't, like just said, I mean, it is so crucial because most people don't have biological family until mm-hmm. they're 30. We very much have to view our church family as family. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm out here, 
and I'm in college or I'm 23 and I'm hearing you say these things and it really resonates with me, but I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. You're, what you're describing is just not what I experience on Sunday mornings at my church. You talk about family and it sounds so good, but church is sort of a speaking event and it's got great music and I bump into people and we're there for an hour or so and then we leave. And I, I just don't, I just don't, you know, have this going. Church is not like what you are describing. So what do I do? You know, I, I just, I feel a, a gap between what you're saying and what I want and what I'm experiencing where I am. Yeah, that's, that, that is the challenge. A lot of people are hungry for this and then go to the church and can't find it. Uh, but the good news is, is that we can create it. There you go. Um, so it doesn't take, it doesn't have to, this is not sitting the pastor down and correcting the pastor and looking the pastor in the face and saying to him or her, um, Hey, you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. This is what we need. No, this, this, this requires no buy-in from any committee, from any council, from any, anything, Mm -hmm. find two people, (laughs) find two friends. Um, who want the same thing or want to want the same thing and start taking steps that direction. Um, just to start living differently, to start intentionally saying, we are going to carve out time, we're going to be together, we're going to sit face-to-face and have non-tech-mediated conversation, and we're going to speak honestly. And um, there's some great discipleship banding tools. Um, we talk about that. Those are like micro-communities, and they're usually three to five people. And um, it's really a, an opportunity to live in accountability, but not in a traditional, like, I'm going to sit down with people who are going to point out my sins to me kind of a way, but in a, I'm going to sit down with people and be honest about my life and I can glean some wisdom from them. They're going to look over my life with me and say, okay, what do we see here? Where am I thriving? Where am Mm -hmm. I excelling? Where are my gifts? How can I contribute? Um, What are my opportunities here to help in, in kingdom building? Um, And also look over our lives with us and say, okay, where am I struggling? Where am I stuck? Where do I need more of the life of God to bring hope and healing and restoration um, to my story, to my life, to my future? And uh, that's a really significant thing to do. And discipleship bands are a great way to move that direction. Yeah, I love discipleship bands. I've been in bands for, gosh, you know, 15 years now. I've been in a band that we've traveled you know, journeyed together in deep relationship for the last few years. And there's absolutely no way, I don't think that um, my marriage would be as healthy, my career, my ministry would be as healthy, um, and that, that I would be uh, as personally as spiritually healthy as I am today without journeying alongside people who yeah. know me fully, can ask any questions of me, and that I know deeply, and who are contending for God's best for my life, I'm Mm -hmm. contending for God's best for theirs. Mm -hmm. But it is intimidating, I think, to say, okay, we're going to build these relationships, and we're going to go into a city or a neighborhood Mm -hmm. or a church that we have not yet found this, and we're going to develop it from scratch. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who feel overwhelmed by this, you know, again, I would say this isn't a rocket science type issue. You know, friendship building doesn't take necessarily a lot of countercultural intelligence. I think it just takes a little grit, a little perseverance, a little mm-hmm. courage um, to put ourselves out there to try and build friendship. And it, the core of uh, friendship and relationship building is shared experience. Mm-hmm. 
and shared space. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make friends that you can journey towards God with, at the core of that, you're going to find people that you're going to invite into your life to share experiences with you and to share space. So invite them into your home, mm -hmm. invite them to coffee, invite them on you know weekends away, um, yeah. share experience and share space with them and mm -hmm. relationships will be formed. Yeah. And it may not be the first person that you ask that you'll find this sort of deep soul resonance with, mm -hmm. but with grit and, and perseverance and courage, um, you will find people that through time, through experience and space, that relationships will build and that they will be life-giving. Mm -hmm. Speak just a little bit more, you all, about um, just the opportunity of banding. You know, we use this word banding or banded discipleship, which is, um, you know, when you, you're talking about just, you know, kind of band of brothers, band of sisters, you know, kind of band, kind of like yoking and connecting and shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, going into life together. Talk to the person who feels kind of introverted. Talk to the person who feels kind of shy. Talk to the person who's been kind of hurt, betrayed, reluctant to trust again, and yet are just in, they're, they're, they fit the profile of everything we're describing, of, about that craving of the heart. What are some of the practical things that we can do to move toward the, the, le the depth of relationship that really could create awakening in life? Just give me some pointers, some ideas of how to move toward that. Yeah, a good just online resource to get some ideas to get going is discipleshipbands.com. And there uh, just walks through the process of what it looks like to put a group like this together. And it primarily offers five questions that can we can ask each other that just help us to move relationship forward. Um, so that's an excellent resource. I highly encourage, if this sounds interesting, to go look at that. Um, I'll just say a little bit about the first question because it's a good starting place. The, the first question that we would ask each other when we meet together is, how is it with your soul? Um, which is just a more... Um, substantive way of saying how are you doing mm. how are you really um it's a more it's 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 a non-casual version of how are you um and so it 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 um invokes a non-casual response a, a more in-depth than a just i'm fine things are good um really how are things and stopping and listening and having the, the space held open to really do that is a good starting place. And what I always encourage people to do when these kind of relationships are new, it feels really, it's hard to be that level of vulnerable, but that's really where the transformation comes is we, we get out of these relationships what we put into them. If we stay on a surface level, we're never going to be able to um, get the kind of life-giving vitality out of the relationship that our souls really crave. And so, but I know it's hard. What I always encourage people to do is take a half step beyond what feels natural. And so if you might be willing to share easily um, to a certain degree, just go a little bit farther. Not so far that you think, I never going to see this person again. I feel so much shame that they've seen this piece of me. But every time you're together, go just one half mm. step farther than feels natural. And with time, trust can grow. Um, so it really does take a, a longer term commitment, almost like a covenantal level relationship. That's so much of what is wrong and broken in our society right now is that people are too willing to walk away from friendships. There's even this like 
you know, big narrative out there. It's very like Pinteresty of, you know, you got to get out of toxic friendships. If it's not life given to you, then get out of there. Like you can't be, you know, slow yeah. down. You know, I, I loved myself today by breaking off relationships yes. with people that <laughs> just annoy me. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. And we're not saying like stay in an abusive relationship where you're being physically harmed. I mean, but if someone rubs you the wrong way, do not cut them off. Yeah. Don't cancel them. <laughs> don't cancel yeah. them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other just practical ideas yeah. around this? That's good. Yeah, and I think to I think to Jess's point, this is difficult because we are used to transactional relationships. Yeah, like we are used to coming to a relationship or a person or a group of people or an institution or a community and asking, "What can this group? What can this person mm-hmm. give to me?" Yeah, like what can I gain from being in relationship with them? But building deep relationships is around is around this word covenant, which sounds mm-hmm. intense, but it's basically to say that we are yoked together for a common purpose and um, we are committed to sacrificially loving one another until mm-hmm. our goal is attained. And nothing is going to break this relationship. It's just such a different mentality than transactional relationships, yeah. than contracts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. contracts, I, I enter a contract or I'd make a transaction for the benefit of self, but I mm-hmm. enter a covenant, the idea that I'm loving and serving another person for the long haul and for bands i think what if you um what if you made relationships with people that were centered around this covenantal sort of statement yeah that we are going Mm -hmm. to pursue intimacy with god Mm -hmm. the obedience of the teachings of jesus Mm -hmm. and the living of our lives in the life that jesus modeled so we're going to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And we're going to encourage that in each other's lives. And we're going to sacrificially love each other in covenant until the full life of God is made present in ours. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how powerful would that be to enter uh, an intentional uh, relationship or rela- relational community around the pursuit of everything that God has for our lives. I know that's not necessarily very practical, but it's a mentality shift that we can take into these relationships and even something from the get-go to, to ask people, you know, would you like to pursue God in this way alongside me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate how that you all are framing that to be not so much sort of like watching uh, to see when we mess up and like holding us yeah. accountable to like, now you said you were going to do this, but you're not, you know, come on, I'm holding you accountable. It's kind of got that policing edge. Mm-hmm. This is more like, man, I'm fighting for you. I'm after your best. I'm believing God for you. You, you know, yeah, so you tripped up. Let's confess it together and move on from it with greater knowledge and wisdom and more resist, you know, resilience yeah. and determination. And let me ask you all this. I appreciate the depth of it, the covenantal kind of way you're understanding but could you say a word about just the role of fun in these relationships <laughs> you know and and how actually that is a part of it i mean it really is not just intensity and self-examination but it's also making great memories and enjoying the goodness of life together yeah um there's a couple of, of studies that actually come to mind some things that i've that i've read um one is just on the nature of we need a, a community and not just a one person to develop us. Like, yeah, my, my doctoral dis- dissertation research was around um, what it looks like to be formed, like how we're mentored, how we're discipled. And 
it really emerged that it comes out of a community rather than a one-on-one because really one person can they can't give us everything that that we need um but most everybody has a fun friend and so if you can put a fun (laughs) friend in your crowd that person that just would naturally kind of push you toward doing the more adventurous things the Mm -hmm. the things that are that break the norms um then that is super helpful i even read this other like very secular study but it was interesting it was around friendship and that they talked about um when when people fondly remember a friendship and are drawn to it it is very often because they had unusual shared experiences instead of just like you know i mean getting coffee is great but if all you ever do is get coffee um well what if one of the times you you know did a little weekend trip or explored some new place or played some game together or you know went to an art show it's just these things that break the monotony of life Mm -hmm. um which are so helpful again in these very isolated where we spend 90 percent of our lives awaking lives staring at screens (laughs) to have embodied experiences Mm -hmm. together is super helpful and the amount of time like austin said just kind of being with people over the long haul another study said that it takes an average i want to say it was 200 hours with a person to consider them like a best friend, like a person that you can really disclose to and share wow. life with. And so, again, that's why we do mission trips with people. You do summer camp. People walk away from those with deep, deep, deep lifelong friendships often because you're doing things that are out of the norm and you're spending large amounts of time together. Yeah. And so we just have to create situations like that in everyday life. Weekends away, doing something interesting, having fun that help us to bond and connect. Yeah. I once had a spiritual friend or kind of a spiritual mentor who said that seriousness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, if I can't laugh with you, then I don't want to do like spiritual life with you as well. And I think that's really profound because we need to break this mentality of our spiritual lives and our spiritual friendships are centered around the pointing out and the challenging of Mm -hmm. what is wrong with you and what's wrong Hmm. with me, like period. You know, there's a there's a place for that. There's a place for godly challenge, for healthy rebuke, um, for confession, mm-hmm. and for prayer for our healing. Yeah. But if we only center our friendships around what's wrong, then we actually paint a picture within our lives that God is absent, mm-hmm. and that all we do is mess up. Mm-hmm. And so we need friends that we just enjoy. Yeah. that we can enjoy like the and we can enjoy God with we can enjoy life with that we can um, actually point out where God is present in our lives mm-hmm. we can discern where God's grace is where his love is where he's leading us where he's active people that we can celebrate you know the miraculous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know the milestones in our in our lives um, there's an incredible power in celebration. Like yeah. I want people that I want that I can celebrate life with. And mm-hmm. that Acts two forty two passage just I, I keep going back to that, but it's just so obvious mm-hmm. the amount of uh, the number of times where it talks about them eating meals together, breaking bread, and fellowshipping. Like I doubt during those times for those you know day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that they were discussing the five points of the atonement that mm-hmm. you know they thought they could tease out of Peter's teaching. No, they were just enjoying just conversation. Yeah. yeah, and that really points to just theologically that we believe that there is no sacred secular divide. Like you do spiritual things, like read your 
read your Bible and pray and go to church. And then you do secular things like work out and cook meals and go to the gym and check your email. Mm. Uh, we really do believe that all of those things um, are, are sacred. They are spaces where we can encounter God, can meet God, um, can be profoundly formed and shaped, not just by things that we think of as traditional spiritual disciplines, but that all of life is formative. And if we really do believe that, which it's true, we, that's, 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 that's the truth, then we can live into that in our relationships, that we can do things with our spiritual friends that look like grocery shopping and cooking great <laughs> meals. Yeah, You know, we can do things that look like going for a walk or a hike or going on some road trip to see some fabulous piece of nature we want to experience. And that really ties into the theological idea of abundant life that's shared and isn't divided out into categories. So good. So we're kind of rounded off here. Thanks everybody for listening and going with us here. We're going to wrap up, but I, I want to do so by just saying, okay, I'm a college sophomore. My freshman year was actually pretty lonely. I got, a, I got to know a couple of seniors who took an interest in me because I was new on campus, but they graduated, and I really didn't connect with anybody in my dorm, and now most people have moved off campus, and I don't know. I'm just not feeling. But what you're describing sounds so compelling. Tell me two or three things to do. What can I do to make this move? I really want to get into life-giving, deeper, closer friendships. What can I do? David, you're actually describing my experience as a freshman in college. Hmm. So the university that I attended, I almost transferred out of at the beginning of my sophomore year because I was so discouraged at the shallow depth of relationships that I'd found there freshman year. And for someone who's experiencing that, you know, I just encourage them to take seriously, you know, these studies that Jess has talked about, where it says, you know, it takes 200 hours of being with someone before they become like a really good or best friend, mm-hmm. um, that it's going to be nearly impossible to microwave relationships your freshman year that become mm-hmm. the quality of friendships that we call best friends. So I would encourage you to stick it out where you're at. Mm-hmm. And as far as practical steps, um, you know, coming back to courage, into perseverance yeah. and the shared experience. Mm-hmm. Um, courageously invite someone who may seem like a person of peace in your classes, in your dorm room, in mm-hmm. your neighborhood, at your church, into experience something that you enjoy alongside yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, some of my closest friends are uh, guys that I do fantasy football with. You know, we'll argue about trades. We'll get mad at each other about uh, cheeky little moves that, that, that we do, you know, throughout the season, week in and week out, trying to beat each other. There's that sense of competition. But a lot of times our conversations bounce between football <laughs> and what God's doing in our, in our lives, our marriages, um, our parenting, and um, like our hopes and dreams for what, what could come of our relationships with God. So um, invite someone into what you enjoy doing. And just start there. Or, even better, notice from a person that you think could be a person of peace, what is it that they enjoy that I can ask them to do alongside me? A mm-hmm. uh, person is likely to say yes to an activity or to an experience that is something that they enjoy. You know, they'll build relationship with you around that, that experience and in turn would be willing to join in on what you enjoy as well. So find something that one of, one of or both of you enjoy and go and do that thing. 
Yeah, I don't know if I can answer much better than that. I mean, that's just a nail on the head. Um, but I think a way to, to, to move toward that is just stretching what opportunities are already in front of you. So if there's one person that you're like, well, at least they smile back when I smile at them on my dorm hall or whatever. I mean, just take whatever there is and just try to stretch it a little bit more. So if you meet somebody at church, you sit beside them, say, hey, what are you doing for lunch? And then maybe see if you can do lunch after church. And then that's, you know, spreads into whatever. And, you know, hey, are you in a small group here? Or just trying to figure out what some inroads are um, in relationships either that you already have. So friendships that already exist or ones that even are more casual than you want. Um, uh, that would be one way. Or then, again, in the life of the church, figure out what's going on there. Um, maybe find a staff member, again, a person of peace, a person who can just kind of be um, a, a gateway person. And every church has these people. There are people who just have a welcoming presence yep. and who love to connect people who they would meet you and say, okay, oh, I know who you should meet. And yep. then they're kind of like a, um, a broker is what I <laughs> read in my research. These kind of people are called that are just connectors that they put people together. And so just try to find one of those. And honestly, Pray, pray that the mm -hmm. Lord would lead you to these people, um, and in His generosity, I believe that that He will, um, and that you're just can can again work with persistence, yeah. um, and some grit, <laughs> yes. and some risk um, in your life, and that the Lord will do this if you pursue it. Yeah, go ahead, Jill Austin. Well, I just say kind of like an ending encouragement for myself would just be to to go and do it. We mm -hmm. believe in you. We yes. believe that you can build relationships. Yep. And we actually believe that God desires you to have spiritual friendships and death community more mm -hmm. than you desire it for yourself. Yep. Like Jesus talks about in the Gospels, like no one will leave their home, family, fields, friends mm -hmm. for the sake of the gospel in my kingdom who will not receive 10 times more family, yeah. friends, yep. and, and this sort of vibrant life that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Jesus is so for this. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will provide friends for you as mm -hmm. you pursue relationships and as you pray, be encouraged. We believe in you. We know that God can build relationships in your life, and we just encourage you to do it. God desires your spiritual friendship more than you do pursue it. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And the people that you're going to bring along want it just as much as you do. And you can provide this thing that you long for, for others. So true. You know, we've said that we turn to Google for so much in life, mm -hmm. uh, but you really can't Google wisdom. You can't right. Google healing. You can't Google joy. That's only something we find in community. And um, you all have really put out so much uh, helpful thinking and, and suggestion and idea and, and just possibility here for us. And I've been inspired by it, and I believe our listeners have as well. And so we, we do appreciate so much you joining us for this conversation. And, and we, uh, we're excited about the, the community possibilities that are going to be forming out of your initiative and the way in which God will use those relationships to bring awakening in your life and in our day. So thanks so much for listening. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Project podcast. We're an ever-growing community of people excited about the next move of God in our generation. If you have any friends who fit this description, feel free to pass along the conversation to them. We would love to invite them into this community. Thanks so much and see you next time.